Hey, welcome back to my podcast, The Cart, where I talk about um, events and uh, places in this world. Um, Today, I'm not on my lunch break. I'm actually on my day off. I tried to record this podcast throughout the week, but I wasn't really happy about how it turned out. Some audio stuff. I feel like I stutter a lot. It's tough. I think it's there's probably a learning curve to this whole thing. But anyways, today I'm talking about Tajikistan. Um, I got interested in Tajikistan by reading an article a few months ago about basically this guy who I believe was the uh, defense minister in Tajikistan. Um, this guy... Uh, attacked a police station with some of his guys um, a few years ago. And, uh, sorry, he was the deputy prime minister. So he attacked a police station um, for reasons that were unknown. Uh, People suspect it was to get guns for uh, maybe an assassination or an overthrow of some of the government in Tajikistan. Um... But no one's really sure. The Tajikistan government, the government in Tajikistan, took this as an opportunity to shut down the IRPT, which is the Islamic Renaissance Party of Tajikistan, which was their main opposition party, right? So just from reading that article, it seemed as though they used this guy as a scapegoat to get rid of their opposition. So I had this idea in my mind that Tajikistan was a politically repressive country, and potentially uh, ruled by a small percentage of people uh, that that kind of believe the same thing, right? Now, the past couple weeks, once I've started to research more about Tajikistan, um, I've started to learn about what else is going on there. Um, Tajikistan has a, has a fairly high poverty rate, somewhere between 20 and 30%. But it's interesting because... Um, in in around 2000, before that, in, in the late 90s, their poverty was, was at 80-90%. They had a really high poverty rate, so they drove that percentage down by an ex- extreme amount. And I'm, I'm kind of ballparking these numbers from a few different websites that I've read information off of, like worldbank.com, usa.com, macrotrends.net, and Borgian Magazine. Um, they all kind of give different numbers, uh, like uh, percentage-wise, how how exactly how much people, how many people are in poverty, how many people were in poverty, but from from all that information, that's kind of the ballpark estimate of what I got. This is maybe twenty, thirty percent of people that are in poverty now. And what's interesting, actually, also, Tajikistan is apparently the um, poorest country in Central Asia, and there is. Um, a certain amount of people that are still very low income, though they have, again, dropped that poverty rate. In the recent past maybe five years, the rate of poverty reduction has slowed. Um, it's not as drastic as it was. Um, Borgian Magazine uh, reported that poverty was dropping 3.1% each year from 1999 until 2015. And after that, it, it it really started to drop more like 1% each year. I started to wonder how they did this, because there are a lot of countries that are in poverty, and I, I wonder what tactics are that governments use to lift the people in those countries out of poverty. Um, their plan to reduce poverty, 
apparently relied on development of the private sectors like agriculture, energy, transportation infrastructure, and cotton production. A lot of people in Tajikistan are farmers. Uh, cotton production is um, also really popular. And so they also focused not only on development of the private sector, but also on the public administration side of things, which as we'll get into, I don't think they've done a very good job of. Um, and they also state that they are working on the improvement, uh, sorry, and development of human potential, whatever that means. One of the greatest sources of income for a lot of families in Tajikistan is money that has been sent home to them from family members working abroad in Russia. Um, there are different numbers, like between a third and a fourth of families have people working in Russia sending remittances home, um, and that has also been boosting boosting their economy a lot in the past 20 years. Um, Russia reported that almost one million workers um, from Tajikistan were working in Russia, and the numbers were pr are probably higher since not all those people, uh, there, there's, there are probably other people working there illegally, right, and that, that the Russian ministry did not um, account for. Um, Tajikistan also found some oil resources recently and have, has been investing in hydropower, which I imagine um, maybe also contributes to the rise in their economy. An article from World Bank in 2022 titled Tackling Food Insecurity in Tajikistan reported that Tajikistan depends on imports for 75% of their food needs um, and over 50% of imports to their country for agricultural imports like seeds and fertilizer and farm equipment. So a lot of um, either food or things to make food is being imported into their country. And so this makes them super susceptible when global prices rise um, to, to, to not be able to afford a lot of or as much of the, um, the resources that they need. This World Bank um, article also mentioned that by the end of 2022, so two years ago, year and a half ago, 30% um, of Ch Tajikistan's population could be moderately food insecure, um, up from 20% in 2021. Another World Bank article from 2018 detailed that um, children under five years old, uh, almost 20% of those, those children, um, are stunted, so developmentally having trouble growing. Um, so food insecurity in Tajikistan is is still a, a big issue. Even though I imagine some of those numbers have changed since 2018, um, and even that, that exact 20% number I'm not going to stand behind, but I think the point stands that there are a lot of people that are struggling with food security in Tajikistan, and um, it's also affecting some of the children. Um, more than more than it, it should <laughs> no kind of jumping into the political side of tajikistan a little bit um from freedomhouse.org freedom house is a really cool website that i like to use um because it kind of ranks uh countries gives them like a scale of their political rights and their civil liber liberties excuse me um so you can kind of see how much corruption or political repression is going on in a certain country um, Tajikistan's political rights score um, is 0 out of 40, 
and their civil li civil liberty score is seven out of sixty. So super low scores. Um, so when I say that Emomali Ramon, the president of Tajikistan, was not democratically chosen to be there, um, would probably be the correct statement to make. And I'll kind of go over that now. Um, Ramon came to power in 1994 um, through years of political turmoil and civil war. Um, he won with about 60% of the vote. There were elections um, for people in 1994, and this was probably the first election that he won fairly, first and only. Um, in 2016, he changed the Constitution um, from the the rule of there being a two-term presidential limit um, to to no presidential limits, kind of like Victor, uh, sorry, Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela did the same thing. So this guy can run as many times as he wants, right? Um, his other titles are leader of the nation, which comes with the perk of full legal immunity for him and his family. So if he does something, he can't be prosecuted in a court of law, nor can any of his family members. And we'll get to some of his family members later, his, his son in particular. In Tajikistan, uh, the president also gets to appoint people to the executive branch. So in 2004, um, he appointed 95% of the positions of the executive branch to people in his party, um, like prime minister, other go governmental officials, um, parliament. He's not allowed to pick parliament, but um, for some reason, everybody in parliament, most people are his political party as well. Possibly, possibly because the elections are rigged. They, I mean, because the elections are rigged, I'll say that. The elections are rigged. Anyways, there uh, are two houses of parliament, the upper house and the lower house. The upper house is called the National Assembly. They only meet twice a year. There are 25 representatives who are chosen by local deputies of different areas of Tajikistan. But guess who gets to choose the local deputies? That would be the president or leader of the nation, Amomali Ramon. So essentially, the people that Ramon has picked, pick the people that are going to be on the council. There are some seats that are, sorry, there's a seat that's um, reserved for the former president. And wouldn't you know it, the chairman of the National Assembly is Rustam, Rustam Amomali who is Emomali Ramon's son. Rustam Emomali is also the mayor of Dushanbe. So not only does he head up the chairman, he's, he's the chairman of the National Assembly, but he's also the mayor of the capital in Tajikistan. The upper house is called the Assembly of Representatives. And from, from the Wikipedia page I saw, which details how many seats are currently held by Ramon's party, um, shows that 47 out of 63 seats um, are parties uh, are party members that are affiliated with Ramon. Some of the other parties kind of back those parties, and a few of the other parties are just kind of opposition parties that are required to be there by law. Um, there's been a bunch of repression of candidates, um, state media censorship, um, persecution and intimidation. Um, of a lot of political groups and political figures, um, not to mention, like we talked about earlier, um, the Islamic uh, the IRPT, 
the RPT's exclusion from being a viable political party by the government of Tajikistan. They were labeled a terrorist organization when this guy attacked the military base. Sorry, uh, police station. This guy wasn't a, a direct um, party member, but he was associated with some of the party members. They kind of helped them get there in the past, you know, 30 years or whatever. So they kind of took that as an excuse to just disqualify that party entirely. I became curious, thinking, hey, what are the representatives that sit in parliament? What do they stand for? What do they do? What do they believe in? What are their names? But when you really look look it up online, you, you'll find almost nothing. Um, even on the, their governmental website, right, the parliament's website, they won't list, it doesn't list who is currently in parliament. So it's tough for me, a person in America, and I imagine even in Tajikistan it could be tough, I'm not really sure, um, to really understand who's uh, in their parliament and what they're doing in parliament. Let's move on to some corruption. Um, Rustam Emamali, who is, again, chairman of the National Assembly, the mayor of Dushanbe, he was also appointed in 2015 to the head of the anti-corruption agency, which is a red flag. I'm not sure if he's still the head of that. There wasn't really enough uh, information or articles to find that I could find um, to figure that out. But he was he was heading that up at one point, which is not a good look to me. Transparency International, who ranks countries from least corrupt to most corrupt. Um, Tajikistan is 150 out of 180, 180 being most corrupt. So they're their corrupt their their corruption ranking is is significant right there's from transparency international's research they found that there's a lot of corruption that's happened and that does happen and the fact that the president's son again i mean we're just running through this here is the is the 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 head or was the head of the anti corruption agency i imagine not be, not much is being done i'm now going to read a leaked document from wikileaks um this came from somewhere in Tajikistan. I believe it was an American source. It doesn't specify who sent it. However, it was sent to um, the CIA, uh, the def uh, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, United States Central Command. So I believe it was maybe potentially the, the embassy in, in, in Tajikistan, the U.S. embassy. Um I'm going to read to you a few of the things that they put in their report from February 16th, 2010. You can look this up and find it yourself. WikiLeaks, Tajikistan, February 16th, 2010. It should come up. Um, I'm reading first. In 2007, Tajikistan's National Bank admitted it had hidden a billion dollars in loans and guarantees to politically connected cotton investors, of which $600 million was never repaid. So there's $600 million that the, uh, the Tajik Bank, National Bank, right? Yep, National Bank, um, it was gone. It was given out to other people. Politically connected cotton investors. Um, they, they mentioned that parliament is a rubber stamp, really does nothing, just kind of agrees with the ruling party. It's the words they use in this, this report. Um, again, it goes over remittances from Russia, how much... Um, that keeps the, the economy going. Apparently, it was equal to 50% of GDP in 2008. Um, they also say, here's 
Here's a quote. Ramon and his family control the country's major businesses, including the largest bank, and they play hardball to protect their business interests, no matter the cost to the economy at large. Fucked up, man. I read an article where apparently Ramon had... It's another leaked document. Uh, someone in Parliament kind of said that Ramon had his hands in some of the country's aluminum companies um, and was taking money from them. Now, I'm going to go into some of the human rights violations that are happening in Tajikistan. Most prevalent of all, um, domestic abuse, though arrest of journalists, censorship of media, um, criminalizing of private religious education, um, and others are happening as well in Tajikistan. In Tajikistan, domestic abuse and marital rape are not criminalized. Um, UN Women reports that 20% of married women have experienced emotional, physical, or sexual violence by their husbands, while a 2021 World Bank assessment stated that as many as 31% of married women experience emotional, physical, and or sexual violence at least once in their marriage. In 2013, Tajikistan passed the Family Violence Law, and I'm going to read to you from Human Rights Watch um, what this law entailed, basically. Quote, the law aims to make it easier for victims of family violence to get protection orders, like a restraining order, and services. Yet advocates and the Survivors Human Rights Watch interviewed said that with a few exceptions, police rarely take family violence seriously. They often refuse to pursue investigations, issue protection orders, or arrest people who commit domestic violence, even in cases where the violence is severe, including attempting murder, serious physical harm, and repeated rape. Sometimes police tell victims it's a family matter and send them away. Or they refuse to do anything and, uh, until they have a medical report rather than gathering evidence provided by the victim in front of them, often with visible wounds. They often fail to investigate cases that occur in rural areas where there is little government presence and where police might have to travel long distances to conduct investigations, telling victims it is their responsibility to bring the perpetrator to the police station. As one survivor told Human Rights Watch, I didn't bother going to the police to complain about the violence because after the first time I went, he, the partner, began to beat me even harder. So now even though there are a few resources for women to go to um, who are victims of domestic violence, um, though it's, it's still not criminalized, the only cases that I read about that resulted in an arrest and someone going to prison for domestic abuse was a case in which the girlfriend or the wife ended up committing suicide. There are organizations that work to help women suffering from domestic abuse, like UN Women, who in December 2022 began a project called Gender-Based Prevention, uh, Gender-Based Violence Prevention and Response in Tajikistan, which aimed on working to strengthen the capacities and services of women's rights organizations and shelters um, in Tajikistan. I was reading this article on unwomen.org um, and in this article the deputy chair of Tajikistan's Committee on Women and Family Affairs uh, is quoted saying that prevention of violence in family and society and the improvement of women's lives is one of the main directions of the government strategy under the core attention of the president of Tajikistan. 
And this is fucking bullshit, because if the president of, of Tajikistan wanted to do something about this, he would have done it already. He controls the Senate. Sorry, he can't, controls the parliament. He controls the executive branch. And in, in um, 2017, there was this guy who was a school teacher, and he gave a speech um, praising Tajikistan, right, um, in front of Ramon. He praised Ramon's leadership. Ramon was so happy with this speech that he ordered the district to arrange a marriage for the school teacher. Um, so I'm kind of getting into some of the some of the cultural norms here. So Ramon himself is setting up a marriage. It, uh, just anyways, the school teacher picked this person named Marjona Hudoy Doba, a recent medical school graduate who he had only seen once to be his bride. Um, Hudoy Doba. Ooh, I'm sorry. Hudoy Doba. Hudoy Doba's parents agreed to the marriage um, when the matchmaker, who was in charge of kind of organizing the wedding, approached them and said, hey, this guy who praised the, the, the leader of this fair nation, right, he wants to marry your daughter, right? And they agreed on the condition that she was able to work. But hold, I just want to like hold the phone here for a sec. This matchmaker, right, is the deputy chairman of the Botar District's Department of Ideology. The, the, the chairperson of the Department of Ideology, right? So again, this is, like, this is like a cultural thing, I think, in Tajikistan, where it is like still, still the way where arranged marriages are happening. Obviously, women do not have uh, much say in a lot of parts of life. But the, the parents, kind of getting back to this, the parents, um, again, agreed. And so did she, because she is quoted in this article that is titled, Tajik's parent, uh, Tajik President's Order Find This Man a Wife um, on Radio Free Europe's website. Um, she agreed. I imagine maybe because she didn't really have much of a choice. Hey, the president of Tajikistan, right? Your president, the leader of the nation, um... He said that this guy can marry whoever he wants, and he picked you. She also said that on the condition that she was able to continue working as a nurse in a hospital, the pictures of the wedding, um, she looks super, super unhappy, um, which is probably a, kind of an understatement. Just saying is like, hey, I'm signing my life over to this guy that I don't know, I probably don't want to be with. So obviously this guy, Emomali Ramon, who leads the country, the his political counterparts who run the country are not doing a good job whatsoever um i worry for the the happiness and safety of a lot of people over there um food insecurity again the treatment of women uh i guess to end this off um some of the good things happening in tajikistan recently or one thing that's that's good in the future um, to end this off, Tajikistan is rich in water resources and hydropower potential, right? If you're curious about how hydropower works, I really recommend this YouTube channel called Construction General. It's the coolest thing. I found it when I was researching. This guy basically makes, like, hydropower machines, like, in rivers, like, mini ones. It's, it's super cool. Check, check them out. Construction General. Anyways, they're making a hydropower plant transmission line that's going to supply power to Afghanistan and Pakistan and hopefully bring in money to the country. However, I just want to point out one more time, 
the man running the country is politically corrupt, um, economically corrupt from many reports, um, and he really doesn't give a shit about human rights. Um, so, anyways, hope you're doing well. Hope you hate the Tajik government as much as I do. Have a good rest of your, uh, your week.